come now to uh, verses uh, 18 to 20 of uh, Paul's uh, section on spiritual warfare, wherein he bids us that we are to pray. Now let me, uh, as usual, begin at verse 10 so that it's uh, kept in context. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Let's pray. Father, now as always, we are indebted to the truth, the revelation of you and your uh, word, your character, your demands, our situation, the Savior you've provided in Jesus Christ, the manner of life that you've called us to live by his grace. We ask that this morning as we uh, take up this, this area of prayer that we often feel as though we, we so deeply lack in, we pray that you would encourage our hearts, stimulate us once again. Recall, Lord, help us to recall that it is your gift to us, our access to you through Jesus Christ by your Spirit. For we ask these things in his name. Amen. One of the uh, great uh, military defeats of the early Middle Ages was the uh, defeat of the Knights of Charlemagne as they entered a, uh, a narrow gorge in the Pyrenees. Uh, it's, uh, it's recalled, told if you will, in the uh, Song of Roland. And what makes the uh, Song of Roland so important, this, this event so important, was that it was completely unnecessary. It didn't have to happen at all. Um, apparently, Roland was the commander of Charlemagne's uh, rear guard. And uh, as they were entering the defile, they were attacked. And Roland knew that all he had to do was blow his horn, Oliphant, and Charlemagne would send reinforcements and they would be okay. Unfortunately, Roland had a pride problem. Roland didn't blow Oliphant. And Roland and all of his soldiers were massacred. 
Likewise, uh, there are an awful lot of Christians who can trace the, the secret of their defeated life, if you will, to prayerlessness. The refusal to cry out to God, who alone can help us and can, if you will, send reinforcements at the moment of our greatest need. You may remember that a few weeks ago I mentioned uh, William Gurnall's uh, Christian Complete Armor and said that it was somewhere along the lines of uh, 1,200 uh, pages of, uh, of text on these verses that we've been looking at. And the interesting thing that I didn't tell you at that point was that 300 of those pages deal with these three verses on prayer. A hundred pages per verse. Now, we might think that that's a little bit you know, off balance. But in fact, it's not at all. Because Gurnall really did understand that you can be clothed in all the armor. You can put it all on. You can have your feet shod. You can have your breastplate on, a sword in your hand, a helmet on your head. You can have it all. But if you don't pray, it's hardly going to help you a bit. Prayer is the essential thing that makes the spiritual armor effective. That protects us, ultimately. Because putting on those things, as good as they are in and of themselves, still requires that crying out to God in dependence and need for him to come and make them effective. In this passage, Paul really wants to emphasize that, and he does it by using the word all four times, as if to say there's no circumstance, there's no time, there's no place that prayer is not essential for you. So I want to look at this, look at this text, because Paul really, he he mentions there are five elements about the nature of this kind of prayer that is, is so important. Now, you know I usually have three points. You know, on a bad Sunday I have two, or if the text demands that I have two, this morning I have five. I, I've shortened them a little bit, you know, so that uh, you won't have to, you'll still get home for lunch. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that uh, it really is important because he talks about the fact that prayer has to be varied. It has to be frequent. It has to be spirit-empowered. It has to be persevering. It has to be intercessory. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure that... Well, I won't, I won't include you. I'll just confess that lots of times I need to have my own prayer life encouraged. I need to have it realigned. I need to have it uh, stimulated. I need hope. I need to be reminded of the, of the great truth about what prayer is and, and why it's given to us and, and the freedom that we have in it. And I, like, I tend to just kind of narrow everything down to this and forget the wideness of God's grace. And in prayer, there is an extraordinary wideness of God's grace. And I trust you'll see that as we move through what Paul tells us. The first thing Paul tells us about the nature of this prayer is that it's varied. He says, with all prayer and petition. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at that. We, I mean, God loves variety. I read the other day that uh, um, <clears throat> there's something like 1.7 million, uh, what was it called, living species. But they're not even sure that's enough because nobody's really got a catalog big enough to put them all. There's no single place that all the living species are listed. 
And so we kind of guess. And that's just living species. And we're not talking about stars and rocks and sand and, you know, all those other things. We're just talking about stuff that's living. God loves variety. So we shouldn't be surprised when we come to prayer that that's also found there as well. Now, when he says these words, all prayer and petition, what does he mean? Well, some people think that basically it's redundant. Prayer and petition are the same thing. But in fact, they they are somewhat different. One contains the other. Prayer is the more general word, the term that he's talking about. But a petition is a specific emphasis of that more general prayer. And you may have many petitions within prayer. And so he's talking about the fact that there's, there's all kinds of variety. And when you look at scriptures, for instance, what you find is there's variety just in the way that we can position our bodies when we pray. For instance, we can pray publicly or privately. You can see prayer in the Psalms that are, include loud cries. Some are soft whispers. Sometimes we pray silently. Sometimes our prayer is deliberate and planned. Other times it just... Excuse me, it's, it's spontaneous. It just falls right out of our mouths. We can do it while we're sitting, standing, kneeling, lying down. We can do it at home. We can do it while we're at church. We can do it while we're driving. We can do it while we're at work or sitting in a classroom. We can do it with our hands folded or our hands raised. Be careful when you do that. We can do it with our eyes closed. Or we can do it with our eyes open. I walk through airports with my daughters as they're about to leave, fly away, and I'm praying with them. Now, I don't close my eyes because I trip over somebody's baggage. But I'm praying out loud. It's a a wonderful thing to do. We can pray with our our head bowed, or we can pray with it erect. The simple fact of the matter is that when you look at the scriptures, you see that there's enormous variety in prayer, great freedom. And even in the things that we pray... You have this um, acrostic acts, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Well, you can add other things to that. You can add song. You can add complaint, right? You can add uh, imprecation, right? Calling down judgment and fire upon your enemies. I mean, prayer is great fun. there's, There's all kinds of things that you could bring to it. In other words, when Paul talks about variety in prayer... He's simply saying that wherever you look, whatever your emotion or need, pray. There are things to pray about. And you don't have to get hung up on whether or not you're in the right position or in exactly the right frame of mind or if your body is skewed. Or That's not what counts when it comes to prayer. There's great freedom to just express who you are and where you are at the moment by your body, by your tone of voice, by the kind of prayer that you pray. Life has a lot of demands and concerns. And so it's natural that there will be variety, whether it's our posture, our place, or our content. But there's something really freeing in that. Well, the second thing Paul tells us about the nature of prayer is that it's frequent. He says, pray at all times. Now, you know, when you read the Old Testament, that the Jewish people had specific times of the day that they were to pray. 
Sometimes specific places. You think of the Wailing Wall and the way in which they did it. But you know, when you look at the New Covenant, you realize that with the, with the coming of Christ, with the birth of the church, things change radically. And we've been learning about this in, in our uh, series on worship downstairs. You know, it used to be that it was, it was localized. It was in Jerusalem, it was at the temple, or it was in the synagogue. That's where, that's where worship took place. But with the coming of Christ in the New Testament, the New Covenant, Worship was no longer localized. Worship was no longer externalized. It was no longer, you know, in this time and place. But it was all the time. In the attitude of our hearts. Flowing out of us towards God at every point. And prayer is exactly the same. And so in the New Testament we see verses like this. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Cornelius, a devout man, prayed to God continually. Paul assured Timothy that he prayed for him night and day. Now surely when we read about this idea of praying at all times, it doesn't mean that we're going to get down in some formal uh, situation and just spend our time in prayer. Because if you did that, of course, you wouldn't work. You wouldn't do the dishes. You wouldn't do the laundry. You wouldn't do the other chores around the house. You wouldn't do anything. You'd just be praying all the time. So that can't be what Paul means. Because Paul was a busy guy. Right? He traveled. He taught. He worked with his hands making tents. He interacted with people. He did more than just pray. So how is it that he's talking about this idea of praying at all times? Well, simply saying that prayer ought to be a a more natural and and consistent and ever-present part of our lives. It means to live our lives with a daily sort of conscious awareness that God is there and that wherever we find ourselves at any given moment, there is an opportunity to pray for those things that, that face us. For instance, when we're tempted, right, we bring our temptations before the Lord. We run into an unbeliever. We bring that individual salvation, their need for salvation, to the Lord. When we find ourselves, you know, under some sort of stress or in trouble, we seek the Lord for our deliverance. When we see evil around us, we pray that God would would bring justice and righteousness on the earth. You know, you can go on and on in every given situation that you find yourself in. There is a reason to pray. There is something to bring before God. And so whether you're thanking him for the beauty of a sunrise while you're driving to work, whether you're grateful for the fact that you have food on your table when so many people in the world are starving, or whether you're interacting with somebody and you you sense that they have some sort of need and you you just want to pray for them. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, there is freedom to bring those very specific things into the presence of God. Paul goes on, he says, the next thing is that our spirit, or our prayer is to be spirit-empowered, he says, in the spirit. Now I want to tell you what you probably already know, and that means that you know, there's nothing about speaking in tongues here or some other ecstatic or dramatic manner of praying. That's not Paul's point at all. In fact, he says that to pray in the Spirit really means to pray in the name of Christ and consistent with his will. That's what the Spirit leads us to do. 
But how does that take place? Now, that's the mystery. But you know, Paul addresses that as well in the book of Romans, which is the text we read for this morning in Romans 8, beginning at verse 26. Paul writes this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. What is our weakness? We don't know how to pray as we should. Amen? We don't. We don't know how to pray as we should. But look what happens. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, you don't hear a voice in your head of the Spirit praying, but he's praying. He's interceding for you because you don't know how to pray. Not really. And there's something quite glorious in that. And it goes on and it says, He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so what that means is that the Holy Spirit, when you and I don't know how to pray, comes and in a a real sense joins his prayer, his intercession with ours so that our prayers rise to God through Christ in a way that is consistent with the will of God, pleasing to him, And giving us the assurance that it will be answered. It doesn't mean that the words coming out of our mouth are perfect. It doesn't mean that the way in which we ask for things is exactly the will of God. But it means that they are transformed by the Holy Spirit in a gracious act of intercession on our behalf. So that by the time they get to the Father we can use that language they are acceptable now one thing this means is that the fervor that many of us wish we had when we pray but don't have is produced by the Holy Spirit before the Father I mean there are many times that I pray for struggles of family and friends or for my own uh, my own soul and I I don't have the fervor I don't have the deep seated oomph and power and you know just passion for those things as I pray I don't know about you but I could literally fall asleep while I'm praying for the salvation of people that's a horrible thing to say but it's true but I'm not alone am I right because the disciples what did they do when Jesus asked them to pray and he was in the garden He's languishing. He's crying out to God. They fall asleep. Dead asleep. There was no fervor, no passion for them to pray. And I find myself in exactly the same place. And what is my hope? Somehow that God is going to jack me up in the middle of prayer and it's just going to happen and all of a sudden it's going to flow? Well, that might happen. And if it does, I'm I'm grateful. But what Paul is talking about here is that in that intercessory work of the Spirit, it is the Spirit's fervor that comes before the Father. Not mine. Mine lacks everything. The Spirit's lacks nothing. And so when God hears those prayers, He hears fervor. He hears passion. He hears need. Because the Holy Spirit is doing it on our behalf 
and in accordance with God's will, which is, of course, to approach God with those things. It's also true that we don't know the will of God, either for ourselves or others, beyond the fact that he wants to make us like Jesus. That's all well and good, and we can pray for that. We can pray for that even specifically knowing what the character of Christ is from the scriptures. But when we pray for other things, we have no idea what God really wants. And so we pray to have or not have certain things, to do or not do certain things, or for certain things to happen or not happen with those that we love. But we don't know whether or not that's pleasing to God. But once again, it is the Spirit who translates, if you will, those prayers in a way that is consistent with the will of God. So that when those prayers come before him, he's pleased to hear them and to answer them. Let me see if I can put what I'm saying in an illustration. Sometimes illustrations actually communicate better than than other stuff. If you've ever watched a TV or been in a bakery somewhere, sometimes you, you, you've seen uh, a baker use an icing pipe, right, to, to decorate a cake or something like that. Now, what is an icing pipe but a, but a tube that you, you take all this kind of mucky, if you will, icing, right, and you just you shove it in there. Right? You just cram it in there. And then what do you do? You squeeze on that tube, and at the end of that tube, there's a, what they call a decorator tip. So you got all this kind of messy stuff in the tube, but when it comes out of that decorator tip, it's in a particular shape that is beautiful. And the pattern really fits what you're trying to make and what you're trying to do. Well, in many respects... The Holy Spirit does exactly the same thing. I, you know, I, I take all my desires and I, and I kind of glob them into my prayers. But the simple fact of the matter is, is that whether it's my, my motivation or whether it's my, my lack of clarity, my, my inability really to know how I ought to pray, nevertheless, the Holy Spirit, as that is squeezed through my prayer, the Holy Spirit acts as that decorator tip. And when it comes out, It's precisely what it ought to be, consistent with what God wants, so that he hears and he answers. Holy Spirit, if you will, forms my prayers into God's beautiful design. It's what he does. So praying in the Spirit isn't, isn't about magical expressions of, of, of God's you know, uh, uh, desire or power to fulfill our desires. More than anything else, it's a recognition that the Holy Spirit works on our behalf when we pray beneath the surface. And that, brethren, is one of the most freeing things you'll ever understand about prayer. If that's all you know about it. It is a beautiful thing to know that the Holy Spirit is active in it. And Paul goes on, he says, a prayer ought to be persevering too. He says, pray in the Spirit and we are to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. Everywhere you look in Scripture, Jesus Christ encourages persistence in prayer. One of the, uh, the famous parables that he told, or stories that he told in Luke 18, 
says this. There was a certain uh, uh, city with a judge. And the judge did not fear God. And he didn't respect man. And there was a widow in that city. And she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wears me out. Well, this this cultivation of persistence, perseverance in prayer is a continuing motif in Jesus' teaching. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right, tells us all these great spiritual blessings that can be ours, these spiritual characteristics. And then what does he say at the end? He says this, that we ought to be tenacious in our pursuit of spiritual things. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And the reason this is so compelling is that there's this, this, this ascending intensity. Right? You ask. What is that? It's admitting your need and and, and you're asking for help. But then you seek. Seeking is is not just asking, but it's it's investing yourself. It's it's showing some effort. It's going out and looking. But then it comes to knocking. Knocking is asking plus persevering. You don't stop. You bang on the door till you get what you want. You'd be like this importunate widow. She will have it. Or like the friend who comes to his other friend at midnight and says, you know, I got, some, I got some guests that just showed up at the house. I got nothing to give them. Just go away. I'm in bed with my kids. <laughs> he doesn't go away. He, he drives a guy nuts until he gets out of bed and gives him what he wants. Likewise, in this text, Jesus stacks these words up. Ask. Seek. Knock. And, and as you know, when you look at how they're actually ought to be translated, it reads like this. Keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and it will be given, open to you. And this tenacity is exactly what Paul is talking about when he says, be on the alert and keep praying. It's said that Oswald Sanders prayed for uh, some of his unbelieving friends for years, 50 years. And the interesting thing was, is that just before his death, one of them came to faith. And just after he died, one of them came to faith. And somebody asked him, why, why do you pray for these people so much? For such a long period of time, when, you, when God hasn't answered you, and you know what he said? He says, you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he didn't intend to save them? I mean, those people, those concerns that God continues to bring to your mind, persevere in prayer about those things, about those people, whatever they are. Because it is God who brings them to your mind that he might answer. I don't know about you, but I tend to be one of those people that I get most fervent and pray most specifically and directly when things are bad. Okay, that's, that's when my prayers reach their highest intensity, at least in my own mind. That's when I'm most fervent. That is when I'm most specific about what I want. 
or what I think somebody else needs. What Paul is saying is, that's the way we ought to pray all the time. All the time. Well, the last thing Paul says about the nature of our prayers is that it ought to be intercessory. He says, for all the saints, and pray on my behalf. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, praying for others actually serves us as much as it serves them in many respects. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones reports that uh, uh, before the outbreak of the, uh, the Spanish Civil War, that country was experiencing such a, a flood of neuroses that the, the hospitals could not take care of them. There weren't enough psychologists and psychiatrists in the country to deal with the people who were just so beside themselves they could barely function. But the war, interestingly enough, as terrible and as awful as it is, drove these people to a cure. And you know what it was? At the onset of that civil war, they became more concerned about the welfare of their friends and their families than they were about their own. And the hospitals emptied. It was was a really interesting study. Suddenly these people who had been so consumed with themselves, when they became concerned and consumed, if you will, about the needs of others, were free of that which bound them. How are we to pray? How are we to pray for others? Well, I suppose if we're going to do it right, we have to recognize that Paul places these these commands to pray in a particular context. And that context is spiritual warfare. That is that the number one thing that we and others need is the power of God brought to bear on the issues of spiritual warfare that take place in people's lives. It's not inappropriate to ask for healing. It's not inappropriate to ask for things that you need to have done and God to provide. Those things are certainly appropriate. We're to pray about all things. But the most important thing is the spiritual. The most important thing is that that people have victory over temptation. The most important thing is that their hearts are filled with love for God. The most important thing is that they know that they ought not to live with bitterness in their hearts. The most important thing is that they seek to obey. The most important thing is that they love those around them. Or for unbelievers to come to faith in Christ, to depend upon Him. Those are the important issues, the truly important issues of life. And those are the things that we ought to pray for first. And so our greatest concern, whether it be for ourselves or for others, is to pray about this area of spiritual warfare which touches everyone. Touches everyone. In C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Magician's Nephew, 
of the Lion King, Aslan, uh, asks uh, Polly and uh, Diggory and uh, uh, the, uh, the, the horse, uh, what was his name, uh, I have it here, Fledge. Fledge the flying horse uh, to run a mission for him. Okay, and, uh, and so they, they agree to do so and off they go. And uh, all of a sudden they, they realize they don't have any food. And it's really interesting. Diggory says, well, I do think someone might have arranged our meals. And Polly responds, well, I'm sure Aslan would have if you'd asked him. And Diggory says, wouldn't he know without being asked? And then the horse, Fledge says, I've no doubt he would, but I've sort of an idea he likes to be asked. No doubt God knows what we want, what we need, without our asking. He's omniscient. But he likes us to ask. He wants us to ask. It glorifies him that his people demonstrate their dependence and trust upon him by asking. So that as he answers, his name is made great and proclaimed throughout the world. Brethren, Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, Don't forget to pray and ask God to make it effective in your life, in the lives of others, and in the work and expansion of his kingdom. Let's pray. My Father, we are... uh, so grateful for this uh, section of, uh, of your word. It reminds us of uh, that which we are up against in this life. And uh, even more importantly, of the provision that you have made for us uh, to stand in the victory of Jesus Christ and to have access to you at any time of the day or night, in any circumstance, any situation, knowing that you love to hear and answer your people's requests and needs. We ask, therefore, that you would uh, keep these things fresh in our minds, that our hearts are made glad, that you are there on our behalf, our strong right hand, and that in the shadow of your wing, Lord, we find every protection that we need. Do these things, we pray, so that through our lives, Jesus Christ and his glory might be proclaimed now and forever. Amen.